Welcome to This Week in Linux. On this week's episode, KDE announced the release date for KDE Plasma 6. Manjaro Linux 23 has been released. Some extensions will be breaking in GNOME 45, a lot of them. And also the NSA reference has been removed from SE Linux, and we'll talk about why that's important. All of this and so much more coming up on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. The Manjaro team have released the latest version of their Linux distribution with Manjaro Linux 23. Now, there's not a lot to talk about specific to Manjaro. I usually talk about the new things that happen between releases for a given distro when I covered on the show. But in the case of Manjaro, it is a distribution I wanted to talk about, but there's not that much to talk about. So yes, for those who are not familiar, it's based on Arch Linux. And it also has upgraded the Linux kernel to 6.5. If you want to learn more about the 6.5 release for the Linux kernel, you can check out the previous episode I did last week where you can get all the information about that release. And if you want to learn more about the latest version of Manjaro Linux for the GNOME edition or the KDE Plasma edition or the XFCE edition, well, you can check out the episodes where I covered those things because that's really all that's changed with this release of Manjaro Linux. It's always good to get upgrades of software, but there's not really anything specific for this particular version of Manjaro. So if you would like to learn more about GNOME 44, you can check out episode 220 of Twill. If you want to check out the news about KDE Plasma 5.27, then you can go to Twill 218. And for XFCE 4.18 coverage, well, that wasn't on Twill, but you can check out Destination Linux 306 for information about that. And that's pretty much it. So, links in the show notes. I'm excited for the next bit of news, and that is the Plasma 6 release date has been announced. KE developer Nate Graham revealed on his blog post the release date, and he says, and I quote, We've decided that Plasma 6 will be released in early February of 2024. We don't have a specific day targeted yet, but it will be in that time frame. Graham also goes on to say that he feels confident that the release will be in excellent shape by then and adds that another five months of development will offer enough of a runway for a solid final release. I am very excited. And for those who are curious about what's coming in Plasma 6, well, they have based on Qt 6 toolkit, there's also DoubleClick by default. We talked about that in a previous episode, which I'll link in the show notes. They've also redesigned the task switcher. They've also added support for automatic bug reporting within Dr. Conkey, which is awesome. And there's a lot of other stuff. But if you don't want to wait, you don't really have to. I mean, you probably should because it's not ready yet. But if you don't want to wait, you can go to KDE Neon Unstable Edition to try out KDE Plasma 6 right now. And a quick reminder, we talked about in a previous episode that the KDE team is doing a wallpaper contest for Plasma 6. And for those who are not aware of it, this contest is not just a contest to get your wallpaper in Plasma 6. That will happen. But you can also win a framework laptop, which is pretty awesome. So if you'd like to learn more about that contest, you'll find a link in the show notes. And more about KDE Plasma 6, you'll also find links in the show notes. But of course, when it does come out, we will be covering it in depth here on this show, so be sure to subscribe. Are you a GNOME user? Are you tired of every single time you update GNOME that your extensions turn off or break? Well, it's gonna get worse. <laughs> Recently in a post on the development blog for GNOME Shell and Mutter, 
Gnome announced something that will create some issues for users and extension developers alike. Now, what they're doing is actually moving from their own custom import system with GJS to a standardized JavaScript module system. Now, this is actually good on, in the long term, but it's going to create some unfortunate situations for many people. So JavaScript was kind of a mess for a very long time. It was made to work a certain way, and then people started doing much larger programs and larger features inside of using JavaScript, but it wasn't really ready for that. But that changed in 2015 when ECMAScript 6 was standardizing the modules. And GJS has supported the ES module since 2021, but porting GNOME Shell has been a much bigger task that had to take a lot more time. And this whole process is going to create some drawbacks. And the way they described it, I'm going to have to disagree. They put a teeny tiny drawback. And I do not think this counts as teeny tiny drawback. I think this counts as a very big drawback because it creates some headaches for everybody users, and extension developers. So the modules and legacy imports are now incompatible. So what this means is that extensions that are targeting older versions of GNOME will not work in GNOME 45. And likewise, extensions that are adapted to work with GNOME 45 will not work with older versions of GNOME. So they did say that legacy imports are still gonna be supported on their extensions.gnome.org website but you will need to upload a pre and post GNOME 45 for as a developer to have support for basically all users. So essentially, if you have an extension that is made for 45, it will not work in previous versions. So distributions that have, like for example, Debian does not have GNOME 45 because it's not out yet and won't have it for at least a couple of years because that's how fast Debian rolls their stable release. And then you have other distributions like Arch, which are not going to be really affected by this, but there may be extensions that you have you know, grown to love that are based on 44 and older, and that's not being updated yet, or maybe not ever. It could create some issues for a lot of people. So I just want to let you know that this is coming because it is coming and you need to be prepared for it. <laughs> so if you'd like to learn more about this news, link in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010, and Linstore, industry-leading open source software-defined storage. Linbit has an active presence in the open source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. Limbit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. Linbit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from Linbit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's 
L-I-N-B-I-T dot com. Talk about Gen 2 that much on this show because Gen 2 is a rolling release, so there's not something I, I can just pinpoint at and say, hey, here's a new version of it. But there is something cool that is coming to Gen 2, and that is an automated updater tool. Gen 2 is not known for automated features, but thanks to a student developer during the Google Summer of Code, there is now an option for an automated Gen 2 Linux system updater. Thanks to GSOC participant Stefan Kolikov, I hope I said it right, there is now a Gen 2 underscore update package that can serve as an automated updater for Gen 2 Linux systems. This can simplify the process of maintaining an up-to-date Gen 2 system, reduce system administrative time, and improve the overall user experience. Now, the default behavior of this Gen 2 underscore update tool is to only update security updates from the Gen 2 Linux Security Advisories or GLSA by default. But it can also update the whole system packages if you want it to. You can just make that change. And if you'd like to learn more about this new tool or Gen 2 itself, link in the show notes. TPM-backed full disk encryption is coming to Ubuntu. Ubuntu has announced a plan to introduce a new experimental method for full disk encryption. In Ubuntu 23.10, they will be adding the ability to do full disk encryption with unlocking using a computer's TPM hardware. This would work by storing the key to unlocking the encryption within the TPM or the Trusted Platform Module for those who don't know what TPM stands for. Ubuntu has offered a full disk encryption for around 15 years, but the only way to use it was for the user to input their passphrase before every boot. This is fine for the most part, but some people prefer not to input a passphrase every single time they boot the machine. This makes it possible to have encryption, but not be required to enter your passphrase every time because the TPM would do it for you. This is a cool idea of offering a balance between security and convenience, so that is pretty nice for those who are looking forward to it, as well as like companies who would have it in their policy to have something like this. And there would be some people who aren't going to be enthused by this because the way it's being implemented. Now, what I mean by that is that it's made possible through work that they have done with the Ubuntu core, so this will be using Snap technologies to make this work. Obviously, this will not be ideal for some users who are not fans of Snaps, but just fine for many others, and probably fine for most people if they are looking for some kind of hardware unlocking for full disk encryption. Personally, I don't have an issue with Snap, so if this works, then it'd be appealing to many, I think. If you'd like to learn more about this, you'll find links in the show notes. The SE Linux project is making a change that is bound to get some attention. The Security Enhanced Linux, aka SE Linux, has decided to remove the reference to the US NSA from the code. For those unaware, the United States National Security Agency worked on the original code around Security Enhanced Linux, or SE Linux, and was the primary original developer. The patch that removes the NSA references from the SE Linux code and the kconfig text says this, and I quote, Change the NSA SE Linux to just SE Linux in kconfig help text and comments, while NSA was the original primary developer and continues to help maintain SE Linux, SE Linux has long since transitioned to a wide community of developers and maintainers. SE Linux has been part of the mainline Linux kernel for nearly 20 years now and has received contributions from many individuals and organizations. And I think it makes sense to do this because it is not controlled by the NSA and it does confuse people to think that they do have control. However, I do realize that some people may feel differently about that regardless. So let me know in the comments what you think. And if you'd like to learn more about this news, you'll find links in the show notes. 
Let's talk about the future of a project, specifically the Olive Video Editor. The Olive Project has something I have been watching for years because it has so much potential and I am very hopeful for it, but they recently announced some potentially bummer news. On the Patreon page for this open source video editor, the developer Matt says that this has been getting harder and harder to find time to work on Olive. Despite that, though, he has made some big updates in the latest version with various bug fixes and has been working on the node infrastructure to make it as versatile as possible, including per-channel manipulation like RGBA, left and right audio, and much more, and also automatic value conversion, allowing users to do things like plug audio into a float input. Now, for those unfamiliar, Olive is a non-linear video editor aiming to provide powerful and advanced video editing capabilities with a user-friendly interface and the freedom of open source. It is currently in early alpha, but it has a lot of cool features. And among those advanced features are frame and sample accurate editing, being fully end-to-end -end color managed. It also allows for node-based effects and compositing for both video and audio, native support for high bit depths up to 32-bit flo full float while still remaining performant, and it's just a really cool project. Now, what makes this even more impressive is that so far, Olive has been almost entirely developed by a single person in their spare time, but he says it's going to need much more than that to get it to where it needs to be and to truly flourish. Matt says a small team of two to three people working full-time could almost certainly get it to a stable 1.0 release where it could sustain itself and continue to grow, but financial investment would be needed to enable that to happen. He also goes on to say that we also need video professionals willing to help test, consult, and advise us regularly to ensure Olive continues to suit a professional workflow. If you'd like to test out Olive in its current prototype status, you can check out the development builds that are available in the try section of their website, but you should keep in mind that these builds are unfinished and are provided with no support or warranty, so just keep that in mind. They basically want to show what is possible to do with Olive already, and I am so hopeful that this project continues because it is a very impressive project, especially being made by one person for the most part. That's just crazy. There is, it's already a very good editor right now, even in early alpha. So I hope they are able to get financial support. And they also talked about how they're not really asking for more patrons. They That would be nice, obviously, but they're not asking for that specifically. They think it'd be take more money than that. So they're trying to find some kind of funding support. And I hope they get it because Olive is super impressive, even right now. So hopefully it does happen. If you'd like to learn more or check out Olive for yourself, you'll find links in the show notes. The Nitrix team have released the latest version of their Linux distribution with Nitrix 3.0. This is a Debian-based distribution, and this version comes with the Linux 6.4.12 kernel and the 23.3 Mesa drivers. Also in this release is a very cool update to their update tool, which is it includes a rescue option that allows you to restore the root partition from a live session. This is very cool, and I think every distro should have this option. Some distros do, some distros don't, but I think they should all do it because it's just a really nice thing to have if you need it. And when you do need it and it's there, it's a game changer, lifesaver, all sorts of stuff. So what makes Nitrix unique? There's a lot of cool stuff that Nitrix does and some stuff that's kind of interesting, but it's up to you whether it's a best option or not. But let's first talk about their desktop, which is the NX desktop. 
This is based on KDE Plasma 5.27.7, and it is not just a KDE-based distribution. They take the KDE Plasma desktop and do a lot of customizations. Functionally, layout-based, the paradigm of usage, the icons, the themes, so much stuff they do. So if you're looking for a very unique approach to using KDE Plasma, you can check out the NX desktop with Nitrix. Another thing that they do is that they use the app images format by default instead of things like flat packs or the snap system. Now it's really cool that they're doing something unique, which is using app images, but there are some drawbacks to app images. We might talk about that in a future episode or just a video. If you're curious about what I'm talking about, I might make a video about all the universal formats. And if you are interested in knowing more about that, feel free to leave a comment and let me know. Now, another thing that they do is they, they do not support systemd by default. They instead use OpenRC, and it's also an immutable system with the overlay root powering that. So if you'd like to learn more about Nitrix and the latest version of Nitrix 3, then you will find links in the show notes. The Partis team have released the latest version of the Partis Linux distribution with Partis 23. Now, for those who are not familiar with Partis, it's pretty interesting because it is a distribution made by an agency in Turkey. The Scientific and Technological Research Council of Turkey and the National Academic Network and Information Center of Turkey. There's a lot to say, but I get it out. That's great. So you don't know, you don't want to know how many takes that took. So <laughs> you probably do. I'm not telling you. Partis is a Debian-based Linux distribution, and it comes with two editions, XFCE and GNOME. This is powered by the Linux kernel 6.1, which is from the Debian base, and also it has the Partis GNOME welcome, as well as the updates to XFCE's fine settings, and Partis updater has been changed and has a lot of new features, and the XFCE 4.18 is used as the desktop default. So if you are interested in checking that out, you can find more information in the show notes for Partis 23. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. And if you'd like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to patron-only sections of our Discord server and so much more. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, and so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux Good News. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tanell. I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring that notification bell. And until next time, I bid you farewell.